As a finance professional, you're constantly looking to learn from the best. Do you want to meet them? Join me in our panel of top industry experts at our next CFO Leadership Live event on November 2nd in Dallas, Texas, as we talk with a panel of CFOs about their top growth strategies and plans for a successful 2023. The workshop includes a complimentary buffet lunch and the chance to network with other DFW finance leaders. Head over to CFOLeadershipLive.com to secure your seat. Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results. With your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is David Panino. David is the president and chief executive officer of Logic Source, as well as a founding partner of the firm and a member of the board of directors. Given the strength of the team he has built around him, David focuses all of his efforts on three imperatives. One, corporate strategy, including category and footprint expansion. Two, product and service marketing and positioning. And three, client service and new client acquisition. David has over 20 years experience in the services and outsourcing industry, including roles as a senior executive at Williams Leah Group, Scient, and Gartner. David received a Bachelor of Arts from Franklin and Marshall College. David has been married to his wife, Elizabeth, for 23 years and lives in Charleston, South Carolina with their four daughters. David, thank you very much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, today we'll learn about you, of course, but we'll also learn about indirect procurement and why you can't fire your way to growth and what CFOs and companies should be doing to counteract inflation, which, as we all know, is is crazy at the moment. So I'm really looking forward to our discussion. So let's get started. Great. Uh, as always, let's start with you and your story as, as to how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, well, uh, very, very briefly, uh, background, I, I grew up in, in, in Connecticut, actually, where our company's headquartered. And um, professionally, I started my career at Gartner, uh, one of the largest IT advisory firm, I think the largest IT advisory firm in the world. And um, I became uh, fascinated with uh, how, how one might build a very large-scale tech-enabled services business. And, and I, I thought buying things, put simply, um, was an interesting place to do that. A lot of economies of scale, um, uh, an area that corporations and enterprises weren't very good at. And um, I wanted to go build a company to help organizations buy more efficiently, which ultimately helped them uh, fund growth initiatives and keep people employed and so on and so forth. And so uh, today we're uh, over 310 jobs in the town I grew up in and growing like a weed and, and supporting, you know, about 50 marquee brands and uh, driving profit improvement for them. That's amazing. So let's talk about your your organization. It's called Logic Source. So what is it that that you guys do? So Logic Source has uh, two main business units. Uh, uh, under the Logic Source brand, uh, we have a, a professional services business where we are a utility for sourcing and procurement. And I use that word very deliberately. There's a lot of 
advice in the market in the form of consulting uh, as it pertains to profit improvement or performance improvement. Um, we wanted to do something different, which was really have an execution-based offering. So not just advice, but actually following through and delivering on advice. So we built a utility to help organizations um, buy better and, and, and drive profit improvement. And we've, we've organized that business in a very simple delivery structure, which we call for you or with you. And our clients that want to be really good at indirect procurement can do it with us and we can help them with more resources, more tools, more data, more spend leverage and help their internal teams um, do more, buy better, uh, increase their frequency in the market, drive profit improvement. Um, We have clients that don't want to do it internally and we do it for them and we become their sourcing and procurement department. Um, and, and run the whole function for them. And about it's about half and half in terms of our clients where we help internal you know, procurement teams uh, uh, do their job and others where we actually run the function for our clients. And then our second business unit, which is under our one market, O-N-E market um, uh, um, brand, is our software um, business. We have a five-module um, SaaS software stack um, that we've owned for 13 years, uh, but we've in earnest been out in the market uh, directly selling software for a couple of years now. Uh, frankly, um, when we looked out in the marketplace at the software that was available, we, we were left wanting. We felt that it was over-engineered, overpriced, and you know, candidly built by people that weren't operators and um, didn't really know procurement. Uh, and so we built a kind of by practitioners, for practitioners software tool set under our one market brand. Um, and, and those are our two primary business units, all focused on sourcing and procuring of, of goods and services that uh, enable companies to be in business every day. And that's really cool. So you started with the procurement services, realized what was missing in the software, and then developed that. C- correct. Our software business was more captive at first. You know, we used it to provide the services, and now we still do that, but we also sell it standalone. Okay, so let's talk about uh, what your ideal client looks like. Sure. So, you know, we've been at this for about 13 years. Our clients range from brands like Lululemon and Tractor Supply and Wiley and McGraw-Hill and Titleist and Ocean Spray and uh, wow, National and Wellspan Health. And so, so we have clients in, in, in retail. Uh, we have clients in financial services. We have clients in um, healthcare. Um, and consumer packaged goods, I'd say what they all have in common is they they provide goods and services, they sell goods and services through the internet or physical space or both to consumers. Um, and that means they spend a lot of money on physical space, on marketing, on distribution, logistics, IT, um, corporate services, et cetera. So in our business, spend is what's interesting. Um, and they all spend money on similar things. Uh, take uh, media, for example. If you're buying TV time uh, um, for a knee replacement or yoga pants or a golf ball, it's still the same media buy. Um, and we can provide economies of scale across multiple industries by by being good at business to consumer sourcing and procurement. Uh, and that's kind of the world we live in. Our clients range from a billion to 70 billion in revenue um, and spend that ranges from a couple hundred million a year to several billion a year in terms of spend under management. And what are your proudest achievements since founding Logic Source? 
So, so for me, you know, it's interesting. I, I, it has changed over the years as a founder. I started this company when I was 35. I, I just turned 49. Um, you know, what I would have said to you at, at 35, 6, 7 would probably be different than what I'd say today. I, you know, today, um, I, I get a real kick out of how many jobs we've created and, and how many um, people feed their families being a part of our family here at Logic Source. And, and that's really fun for me. Um, you know, being in a building that was abandoned when I was a kid in Connecticut, that's now a thriving, you know, uh, headquarters of, of our company, as, as well as some other really great growth companies in Connecticut is, is really fun for me. Um, opening offices in other environments like Charleston, South Carolina, and having employees all over the country and Canada is really fun. So I'd say today, my most proud uh, um, attribute is this all those people that work for us and, and and get great benefits and 401k matching and all that stuff because we created this company. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you built an amazing business. But let's, uh, I'm just curious. So you had an idea to start up a service or an offering or a company. How How did you go about doing that? What steps did you take to make your idea a reality? Yeah, I've been um, I've been incredibly fortunate. Um, I've had amazing mentors throughout my whole career. I've been very, very lucky in that regard. I I, I worked for for Manny Fernandez at Gartner, who was who was a legendary leader and visionary. I had the opportunity to work for Bob Howe and, and Steve McKetty at at, at at Science. These are guys that ran IBM Global Services, founded IBM Global Services, and you know I, I had a great mentor and. Uh, Justin Barton at Williams Lee uh, back in the day. So I've had these great mentors. And and um, one of them, um, when I built my business plan, I wanted to do this. Uh, Michael Fleischer, who was the chairman of Warner Music Group at the time, uh, just recently retired as CFO of Wayfair. I sat down with Michael and said, I wanted to start this business. And, and he said, how can I help? And I said, you could do three things. You could be a customer, you could be on my board, and you could invest. And, and he said, I'll do two of the three. I'll be on your board and I'll be a customer. And he did both of those. Um, but I, I invest through Bain Capital, so I'll, I'll walk you into Bain. Um, and he may, he introduced me to Jeff Schwartz at, at Bain Capital uh, Ventures. And um, Jeff took a meeting with me, you know, a couple meetings in. Uh, he funded us to start the business from absolute scratch. And, uh, and then we bought our software business from a private equity firm out in St. Louis, a guy named Doug Morris and, and his partners. And, um, you know, those guys were really great friends and partners who helped us um, start this thing up. Um, and we were just real fortunate to have those kind of relationships where people introduced us into top tier firms. I, I don't know if this is a fact, but I, I think I'm right. I don't think Bain Capital Ventures has ever funded anything at that point in 09 from pure scratch. Um, so it was, it was a, a fun journey. Yeah. It's been very hard since then, but we're still here. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys are thriving. So, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, you're passionate about helping organizations to buy better, which you have been helping companies do for the past 20 years. So how has your approach evolved in the last 20 years? Yeah, you know, it's it's it, life keeps throwing us, um, you know, curveballs. Yeah. Um, you know, They're I, coming I think, faster you know, and faster. <laughs> our, our business, I actually just spoke at an event where I said, I said you know, our business is is good in good economies, better in bad. It's it's interesting in shifting sands, which is where we've been lately. Um, you know, in, in, in really good times, um, a lot of what we're doing is driving efficiency to fund growth. Um, you know, uh, um, new initiatives, you know, uh, um, 
pivoting off of the current business and expanding, you know, store of the future for our retail clients, so like a big lots or opening up the men's line for a Lulu. You know, how do we create cash to go do that uh, by freeing up capital? So in good times, that's the kind of stuff we do. And, and, and then you get into a COVID type environment where everybody was trying their best to stay open um, or they were an essential uh, uh, business and they had to they had to stay open and they had to keep their employees safe and and then you know supply chain crisis hits and and inflation hits so it's it's constantly evolving um but but at the at the core it's all the same stuff how do we partner with them to help them drive a, a culture of efficiency um how, how do we make their budgets go further um find more innovative supply partners that that can do more um so that they can either keep people employed or fund growth or fund innovation um, or, you know, not hit their debt covenants in a bad way and things of that nature. So it, it's the, the, the tools and the process stay the same. The application of the results change depending on the economic environment. And how is Logic Source currently reinventing sourcing and procurement? So, so you know, we, we think that... Um, it's a date myself. When I started at Gartner, there, was a, there wasn't a CIO. There was an MIS director. They pushed around an AV cart. They had screwdrivers in their pocket. They went down when they got to the elevator, not up. And they worked on the mainframe. And at one point, they gave the screwdrivers to Xerox. And they gave the mainframe to IBM. And they went upstairs. They put a suit on. And they started talking about innovation and omni-channel and security. And they became the CIO. And they became a competitive differentiator. Technology is clearly a competitive differentiator for corporate America and for most enterprises. Um, sourcing and procurement is still stuck in the dark ages. The, the mere fact it's still called procurement, um, you know, uh, um, gives one the, the the sense that somebody's made a strategic decision, and procurement is just executing on that buy. Um, we're really in the spend management business, so we're trying to elevate the role of sourcing and procurement. Our job is to help manage the company's money, make budgets go further, fuel innovation. It's not just to procure something. Um, so we're trying to elevate that. Um, and, and, we're, and it's working. Uh, if you look at the salaries for sourcing and procurement professionals, the titles, uh, where they're reporting in the enterprise, um, the last two, three years has been an incredible period of growth for sourcing and procurement. Uh, not just corporations that have started and grown, but also the individuals that have chosen this as their career path. In fact, I was at my daughter's uh, college orientation uh, a couple months ago, and they said the top five majors that didn't exist when I went to college and, and perhaps when you went to college, number one was supply chain. Yeah, I believe it. So a company that does sourcing and procurement well, like what can they expect to save versus a company that does not do it well? So the stuff that we do, the, the, the math on this is about a, a consumer-facing business. If you're a hospital system, if you're a consumer packaged goods company, a retailer, an e-tailer, uh, a retail financial services, insurance, you're going to spend about 20% of revenue on the stuff that we're we focus on marketing, IT, facilities, distribution, logistics, corporate services, et cetera. So about 20% of revenue. So if you're a billion dollar company, right, you're going to spend about 200 million on this stuff. Um, you should be able to save between five and 14% on that if you're doing this right. right? Wow. Um, you know, and if you're, you know, if you don't have this function, the, that number could go up. 
Now, you have to adjust for markets. Right now, we're seeing some of that inflation coming back. So you have to index that. Um, you know, during the really high inflationary periods, you, you, you had some headwinds. But even in those uh, environments, we were still saving 5 to 14% with inflation. And so we're talking big numbers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, really big numbers. So what are some practical steps a, a company can take in 2022 to, to buy better? So, so I think the first thing, it's like any problem, you have to get past the denial stage. I think corporations have to embrace sourcing and procurement leaders and departments as key executives in the organization. Your, your, your head of sourcing and procurement should have a C in front of their title. This should be a chief procurement officer, a chief sourcing officer. They should report into the CFO um, of the organization. Um, they should be partners in driving a culture of efficiency. Um, they should have tools. If you can't see what you buy, who you buy it from, how much you pay for it, who buys it, why you buy it, you can't manage it. So you have to have smart source-to-pay solutions from a SaaS software perspective. You have to have smart data analytics. You have to have your contracts automated, scanned, coded, and tagged so you know when there's auto renewals and things like that you can source through. Um, so there's just those kind of blocking and tackling. You have to look at this as a key function of the organization. You have to empower them because most procurement departments we meet are on a journey to gain influence instead of being supported top down. And I think those are some of the biggest things. You have to have top down support. You have to have the right people in place. You have to have the system so that you can manage it. You have to have an ecosystem of suppliers and you have to have the domain expertise for all the categories you're sourcing so that when your business units come to you for support, you're ready and you deliver them a result. And speaking of which, so once you have these tools in place, how do you encourage employees to actually use them and not just, you know, go out and purchase something on Amazon? It's all about leadership. I think that, you know, our clients that have really gotten great at this have had a top down approach to say to their colleagues and their employees, folks, our job is to, especially in these dark times we're all sailing into, you know, we want to keep people employed. We want to keep great benefits and great 401ks and all this other stuff. And to do that, we have to be efficient. So a top-down approach from leadership saying we're going to do this. So, and I can't tell you, having grown up in sales, how many phone calls you get in Q4 saying, hey, I still have budget. What can you sell me so I don't lose the budget? That is a red flag that your culture is not efficient, right? If somebody's worried about blowing money so they don't lose it in next year's budget, you have a top-down leadership challenge. These folks should be thinking about how do I drive profit improvement for my corporation? So not only can I achieve my bonus, but can I work for a healthy, stable company that continues to grow? And that's all about leadership. And you may have touched on this, but what is the value of indirect procurement to a CEO or a CFO? Yes. Yeah, so, so one of our CEOs, I thought, said this really well. Uh, I, I met with him, uh, um, spent a couple hours in his office, and he, he said, I got to tell you, when I started this conversation, a friend asked him to meet with me. And, and, and he did as a favor to his friend. And when we were done with the conversation, he had kicked his executive assistant out twice and he kept talking. <laughs> and at the end of the conversation, he said, I got to tell you, when I took this meeting, I thought indirect procurement is like priority 99. He said, but having spent an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes with you, I realized I'm right. It is priority 99, but it'll fund priority one through five. 
So I don't want my team doing it because my scarce and valuable resources need to go focus on priority one through 20. But I want you to go do this so that you can fund those priorities for us. And I think that's the way CEOs should look at this. Um, this is a specialty skill. There, It's very hard to justify the domain expertise you would need internally to do this really well. Um, and results here drive drop directly to the bottom line and fund survival for some companies, uh, innovation and growth for others. And, and it's critical. So find partners that can come do this for you and accelerate your journey into the space uh, and free up that money. I mean, to use a gold mining analogy, this is gold lying in the riverbed. Get somebody that knows how to go pan it so that you can benefit from that return. Yeah, it's just it's just there for the taking. Correct. So what are some common misconceptions about procurement? Uh, procurement has a brand challenge. I think that um, if you if we did a, 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 a brand awareness study on procurement and, and, you know, if we walked through Dreamforce last week, Salesforce's large event and just grabbed the microphone and walked up to people and said, hey, what do you think of procurement? If we went out to an Apple conference, a Gartner conference, hey, what do you think of procurement? I think we find that suppliers to the enterprise find procurement frustrating. They can be viewed as the chief no officer, an extension of legal. You're going to slow down my process. And a lot of business executives, chief marketing officers, CIOs, feel like they don't understand. Procurement doesn't understand their business. They're just there to beat suppliers about the head. And, and I think that's what's so daunting for CEOs and CFOs. It's very hard to build the domain expertise to truly do category management well, which is why partners make a lot of sense that are in there that only exist. We only exist to help in indirect procurements. So that domain expertise is absolutely critical and can help overcome that brand challenge procurement has. Um, and I'm just curious. So do you do your customers pay based on savings or is it just a flat rate? Yes, gain shares and savings-based programs are a recipe for a very difficult marriage. Um, we look at it as the money we save is your money. It's the company's money, not ours. And the amount of effort it goes to, to drive 20 million savings versus five, 50 versus 15 depends on the category and the workload. So we get a we get a fixed fee for the work we do. We have quite toothy. Um, clauses that make sure that we have to deliver our economic value or we see real pain in the form of rebating back. But we don't like to do gain share deals and things of that nature because everybody ends up in a fight uh, over yeah. you know, who did what and, and what. And it's hard to budget for gain share as well. And CFOs need to budget. So as you look back on the last two and a half years, how has the, the pandemic affected the sourcing and procurement industry? It was, um, you never want to say a pandemic was a good thing. So I'm trying to use my words carefully. Let's yeah. just say it it, it definitely um, elevated sourcing and procurement because companies didn't have a choice. Uh, one, they had to buy things they never bought before, like PPE, uh, blast screens for registers. You know, uh, they had to keep their employees safe and they needed someone that could go buy all that stuff. And a lot of it was hard to get. So sourcing and procurement had an opportunity to show how good they were uh, by going to get things that were difficult to get and keeping employees safe. So it elevated them a bit. Um, we also then, you know, we, we had to try to drive efficiency to keep people employed um, and, and weather 
uh, um, a pretty severe economic hit that most companies took, restaurants that weren't open, retailers that couldn't open, et cetera. Um, so again, sourcing and procurement had an opportunity to show their value by uh, negotiating better deals, um, leases, all these sorts of things. Um, and then we had then we had a supply chain crisis. We couldn't get things. So again, sourcing and procurement had an opportunity to show, hey, we can help you get things. We can negotiate this. So I think it's been good to elevate, and we see it in salaries for sourcing and procurement professionals. We see it in the, in the valuations of, of sourcing and procurement companies. So I think in general, it was a, a, a turbocharged what was probably going to happen anyways, which was elevating the role. Um, I don't think it finished the job. I think there's a lot of organizations that still don't value their sourcing and procurement professionals. I think there's a lot of organizations where high potential employees don't go into procurement. Um, so I think that will continue to change. And I think the leaders in, in corporate America will look at high potential employees going into those functions and the laggards will you know, regret not doing that. Yeah. And along those lines, so where do you see the future of the industry going? It's interesting. I think we, um, you will see more and more players getting into this space. I've noticed of late, every consulting firm has a performance improvement practice because the space is hot. Um, I think you'll see continual entry of new software players because there's been big market caps for some of the early entrants. I think data isn't yet um, a power player in sourcing and procurement, but I think it will be really soon. I, I think you'll see us do some big things in data um, because there's some really smart things you can do with AI um, to do immediate benchmarks and um, drive you know, first day of value much quicker, leveraging data the way you might in a stock exchange or bonds, et cetera. You know, we're buying things and the prices and the markets move. So I think you'll see the industry get smarter on how they leverage data in the way other industries have. Um, and I think you'll continue to see salaries push up. And, and I think you'll see com competition for those jobs as more and more companies realize we really need this function within the enterprise. Um, do, you, do you find that procurement's just something that people think about in bad times, whereas in good times, it's like, you know, problem 99, like that one CEO said? I think that the... Um, Really successful companies are always thinking about it. I think it's um, a, a fool's uh, uh, errand to, to not focus in good and bad. I think about it in the context of of wealth management. Um, you know, in in a bad in bad times, managing your hard earned savings is critical, so you lose as little as possible. Um, but in boom times, you know the the Smart investors try to maximize their returns, not just, you know, rest on, you know, a, you know, whatever the market's, you know, the, the Dow, you know, S&P 500 is doing. So I think of it in the money management or wealth management context. You want to outperform in great times and, and you want to outperform the lows in low times. So you always have to manage your money. And I think it's the same in indirect procurement. It, it, we manage the company's money. So in great times, let's make more than everybody else. And in bad times, let's lose more than everybody else. Yeah, that's great advice. So um, as we look at the as as we look at those who have achieved unicorn status within the procurement space, what do you think we can learn from them? You know, I think what, there's been players like Coupa and, and I value and others that that are in the software space that have achieved you know billion plus market caps. Um, I think they tell us that the market's hot. 
um, you know, any, any industry that starts to see, you know, north of a billion dollar valuations for companies that have lower revenue. I mean, that's a, a white hot space. Um, I, I will find, I will say it's interesting though. I think they all have to keep their eye on customer satisfaction because um, there's a lot of companies that have cropped up during uh, the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so as procurement started to mature that have achieved big market caps and, you know, are advertising in Yankee Stadium and, and doing these big things, but their customers are uh, not implementing the technology effectively and not getting the full value uh, of the technology. And I think that, you know, you can get uh, drunk with the uh, market cap and forget that your, uh, your customers need to be happy or that'll come back on you. And as you look internally, what is maybe one or two of the biggest challenges that you and your teams are facing this quarter? I'm sorry, would you mind repeating that? Sure. Um, as you look internally, uh, what are one or two of the biggest challenges that you and your teams are facing, let's say, for the remainder of 2022? Yeah, I'd say there's two, two key things. Um, I think the supply chain crisis is chilling out a little bit. Um, I think the, there was a lot of inflation that was legitimate and there was an awful lot of price gouging. And I think the price gouging will be illuminated and those that played those games will 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 be in pain um, going forward. I think the two biggest challenges would be we need the economy to pick a direction because CFOs and, and, and constant sand shifting under their feet is not a good combination. So if it's going to be good, great. If it's going to be bad, fine. But it's constantly changing that I think creates indecision that is 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 damaging to any of these kind of decisions, whether it's picking a new supplier, negotiating a new partner, uh, trying to drive, you know, initiatives like cost takeout. Uh, we need some stability here. So I think that our biggest challenge is getting CFOs to pick a direction and stick with it. And, and the economy keeps, you know, get, get, getting them in a position of second guessing themselves. I think the second thing is that this talent will, will continue in this space to be hard. I, I think there are those that believe the great war on talent will continue even in a recession. I don't necessarily agree with that uh, in a lot of job functions, but I think in sourcing and procurement, talent is going to continue to be difficult because there aren't enough great category managers, great sourcing and procurement negotiators out there. So uh, um, companies will continue to see resignations and people going to find more flexible work environments and more fun um, and more money. And lastly, what advice do you have for CEOs who are looking to drive or even CFOs looking to drive strategic value to grow profitability? I would say, you know, have an initiative to 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 profit mine in the you know field of indirect procurement. There's a lot of money here, um, and and it's not just rate based savings, negotiating better pricing, but there's a lot of process improvement opportunity. There's a lot of value engineering and specification rationalization opportunity. Um, this is a very rich area um, that if they don't have an initiative here, uh, they should. Um, I would also say having been a consultant, consulting is not the right model. Consultants lovingly don't buy anything and they don't do anything. So when you're looking to drive efficiency and indirect procurement, don't start by writing a check to a consultant. 
get folks that can actually execute and actually bring spend leverage and relationships and you know volume uh, to the party and make them show you on their nickel before you write a check. But I would say you have to have a, one of your strategic imperatives as a CFO has to be, you know, how are we going to take five to fifteen percent out of indirect procurement in 2023, and how do we start right now? Because by the time we do the analysis, January one's upon us. Great advice, David. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about all of your experiences. And I wish you and Logic Source all the best. Sounds like you guys are both providing a lot of value. So to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.